Hi everyone, and welcome to my sauntering podcast. My name is Paul White, and I live in a gorgeous place called Weymouth. And this podcast is a collection of saunters that were born in lockdown, but it's also got some additional stuff which is just fresh, hot off the press. praying that you'll be really blessed and that God will speak into your heart as we take this journey together. So please go ahead and hit the subscribe button to keep updated with the very latest sauntering podcasts. Good morning saunterers, dear friends, we are live, it's raining so I'm in the shed and uh but it's a good day because Jesus loves us and we're, we're looking at his word together. So come on, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you and we invite you into this place, into our homes, into our hearts. Lord, come on, Lord, let Jesus be so real to us today. Amen. So we are in Luke chapter 6 today. And it's a very, very dense chapter, so we may not be able to get through it all. I don't want to rush it, but I do want to kind of get through without dragging. So good to see you, Paul. Hope all is well with you. So here we go. Luke chapter 6, verse 1. It says, on a Sabbath, which is the Saturday, which is the holy day for the Jew, and still is when they um, refrain from work and the rules around the Sabbath are very very strict and in some parts of Jewish culture they're incredibly strict and they certainly were in Jesus's time. Yes Fran, it's a work in progress but it's better than just a hanging up bike or something. So um, so on a Sabbath while he was going through the grain fields his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain rubbing them in their hands but some of the Pharisees said why are you what are you sorry why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? Now, many of us, particularly country people like me, have walked through cornfields around the edge of cornfields and plucked a ear of corn off and rubbed it in our hands. And then if you rub it enough, the grain falls out and you can bite it and chew it. It's kind of not very palatable. It's all right. Um, bit hard going. Um, and the disciples are just doing this, I would imagine, fairly idly. I don't expect they're trying to seriously get a meal out of it, but they're just picking these heads off and eating them. And it's quite an interesting little bit of detail, but the Pharisees are so picky. They pick Jesus up on it and they say, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them. Listen to Jesus' answer, because he doesn't just brush it off and let it go, which I probably would. I'd just be like, oh, gosh. When will they stop? But Jesus comes back with this really instructive and challenging statement. He says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? So he's going back to the Old Testament to King David when David was uh, a runaway outlaw from King Saul. And King Saul was hunting him down like a dog. And he says, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. So he had a bunch of merry men like Robin Hood. 
how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So this is a really interesting statement. Jesus is actually appealing to a historical event that everyone who had read the Old Testament, which was the Bible they had, would know about where David broke the law of God and actually went into the kind of sanctuary, the, the temple and the priest, he kind of asked the priest for food and the priest gave him this special holy bread, which was only authorised for priests to eat. And it symbolised the presence of God. It was baked fresh every day. And David and his men ate it. And Jesus is, I don't know if Jesus is saying what David did was OK or anything like that. But he's saying, come on, guys, read the Bible. You claim to be experts. Read it. See the nuances. See the kind of challenges that it throws up just by reading the narrative honestly and he says anyway what his point is anyway and he said to them the son of man is the lord of the sabbath so he refers to himself as the son of man it's one of the titles he gives himself and he's saying actually i'm the lord of the sabbath i'm i'm above it it's for me i invented it it was my idea so please calm down and then um, on another Sabbath, verse six, it says he entered the synagogue, which is where the Jews met to study the Bible, as we've said already, every, sa every Sabbath day. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So he had some deformity, um, maybe it never formed properly in the womb or something like that. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him. So these are the people who are very picky about the Old Testament law, the law of Moses. And they're trying to trip Jesus up because they're jealous of him. And he is just doing so great. And he's such an incredible preacher and healer and everything else. And they, they want to trip him up. And so he says they watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come and stand here. <laughs> so Jesus isn't kind of trying to say, look, come out the back. That's a little private conversation. I'll heal you and then you can sneak off. Nobody will be any the wiser. We haven't offended anybody. We've done it all lovely and kind of nicely. But you've got healed. I've done my job. Everyone's happy. No, <laughs> Jesus is going to take it head on. So he says, come out here, fella. And so he brings the guy out the front and makes a proper spectacle. And he rose and stood there. Verse nine, it says, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Well, Jesus, this is a rhetorical question. They can't say, oh, you should do harm on the Sabbath or you should withhold help from someone who needs it on the Sabbath. Because actually even the law in its detail was very specific that if an animal, if your ox fell into a hole on the Sabbath, fell into a well or something, you were to pull him out. You were to help, you know, get the animal out, save its life and rescue it from misery. And so Jesus is saying, come on, you are just missing the whole point of this stuff. And he says... Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking round at them all, he's, he's literally staring them down, isn't he? 
he says to him, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Honestly, this is the most incredible miracle, isn't it? This guy's hand is literally withered. It doesn't work. It's um, <laughs> And Jesus just says, stretch out your hand. And I just love to see that. It kind of like inflates like a balloon. Blood vessels and muscle and everything else appear on this arm <clears throat> in this arm and it starts to function properly and that is just utterly stunning and yet these Pharisees are so hung up about tripping up Jesus they're not interested in seeing this guy's whole life change for the in the most wonderful way they're just interested in tripping up Jesus and making him try to make him out to be a false teacher Anyhow, moving on, verse 12. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, which we've already seen Jesus did a lot of. He went to a remote place. He would find somewhere quiet away from people and to hang out with God the Father. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night continued in prayer to God. So he knows, right, that he's got a big day ahead of him tomorrow. And so he's... he's um spending the whole night praying. He's not just uh, going to say, oh God, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep and that kind of thing. This is like I'm properly engaging with God. I'm listening to heaven. I'm listening to my father. I'm listening to the Holy Spirit. I'm drawing on wisdom. I'm getting filled up. And this is Jesus, the son of God. Here's the thing. If Jesus needs to do it before a big day, how about you and me? How much time do we actually spend pulling on God and saying, God, give me wisdom today. Give me strength. I've got this challenging situation at work. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Give me your Holy Spirit and so on. Anyway, so Jesus prays all night. Verse 13. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Apostles means one who is sent out to establish the culture of the kingdom of God or in in our usage it was it had a secular use when Jesus took it it's to do with um, a Roman um, ship loaded up with people who were coming up go, going into a different location to establish Roman culture and the people the person in charge of that mission <coughs> was called an apostle they were sent out and it really just means sent um, with that mission, with that purpose. And so Jesus is looking for 12 to that he can send out with the same mission that he has. And he chose from them 12 whom he named apostles, Simon, who we've already heard of, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John. So James and John were the other fishermen friends who Peter worked with and was in partnership with. Um, and Philip, and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, who was called the Zealot. So he was a political activist. He was very much kind of they were involved in acts of terrorism against the Roman occupation and so on. So he's got um, a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, um, a political activist and Judas, the son of James and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Jesus had spent all night praying, and you kind of think, hmm, 
Did he appoint Judas Iscariot, who was going to be a traitor by mistake? No, of course not. When he was praying in the night, he would have had full understanding of what was going to happen through Judas and how Judas would betray him and so on, and how Judas would have his fingers in the till, stealing money. And Jesus, nonetheless, went ahead and appointed him as an apostle because he had a purpose in this guy's life that he was going to fulfill. So verse 17, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and all the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him out from him and healed them all. Just love it. So Jesus is turbocharged. He's been in the presence of God all night. Excuse me. He's called his apostles. He's called his disciples, these 12. And now he's getting back down to the business of what he does. And he's preaching and teaching and healing people. And literally people just want to touch him because when they touch him, power comes out of them. If you imagine that, someone just bumps into him in the crowd and is healed. Someone reaches out and touches his hand. The lady we know of in another story touches the hem of his garment. She creeps in on all fours or something like that, doesn't she? And touches the hem of his garment and she's healed of something that's been troubling her for all these years. And so this is, this is amazing. But it's a busy day in ministry for Jesus. And then verse 20 says he lifted up his eyes on his disciples. So he's actually addressing them particularly. So the ones who are particularly close to him and are following him. And I guess that's more than the 12, although the 12 are in that number. And he said, blessed or blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Now we get we have heard the Lord's Prayer and it says um, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. You know, so we know that that little line. We've heard that little line. Yours is the kingdom. And we know that God, it's God's kingdom. But Jesus is saying, in effect, I'm giving you, you who are poor, I'm giving you the kingdom. And I'm saying this kingdom, this domain, this whole um, economy of heaven this whole new thing that I'm establishing, I'm giving to you guys, you who are poor. And what Jesus is not saying is, oh, you're the noble poor. What he's saying is, listen, your circumstances are going to change because you are entering into a whole new dimension called the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And he says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And I've been poor, I've been blessed and prosperous, you know, relatively. Um, and God has been very kind to me, but I have known what it is to have nothing and to have everything kind of gone and just be literally saying, God, help me to have a next have my next meal, have, help me to pay my rent, that kind of thing. And you know what? His faithfulness is um, is incredible. And so what? I don't know what he's exactly saying when Matthew says, when Matthew recounts this, 
he says, or, or similar teaching, he says, blessed are you who are poor in spirit. And people have tried to make Luke be saying the same thing. I think Luke's saying something slightly different. I think this is possibly a slightly different occasion, but Jesus is teaching the same kind of stuff with a different twist to it. And he's saying, listen, you guys, you're poor now, but the kingdom of heaven is yours. You're poor now, but I'm here. Jesus is here. Everything can change. Because I don't think it's particularly good news to be poor. But just remember, the couple chapters before, Jesus had said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Good news to the poor is not that you're going to stay begging and poor and impoverished just for the rest of your life. But don't worry, when you die, you can go to heaven. I believe there is something Jesus is saying, listen, even now you're poor, but even now something can change because I'm here. And then he goes on to say the similar kind of thing. He says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Surely he's not saying, yeah, cheer up, guys. When you go to heaven, you'll have all the food you want. Surely he's not saying that. Your, your stomach's sticking to your backbone today and you're literally starving. But don't worry. When you die, you're going to... I, I think he's actually saying, no, there is a different... There are different rules applying now. You are poor. You have been poor. You are hungry now. But actually, I'm here. I'm changing things. I'm bringing real change in real time into real life situations. And we've seen it so many times, haven't we? As people have come to faith in Jesus and just watched the, the blessing of God begin to influence their social situation even they're they're um lifted out of poverty one of the incredible ministries that we're involved with in weymouth is christians against poverty where we literally see people come out of debt and it's the ministry of people who love jesus bringing not like wealth in abundance necessarily but certainly a lift out of poverty and out of crushing debt and so thank god anyway he says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is in heaven. Sorry, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. Now he is saying, actually, you're going to have a reward in heaven. So he is saying that as well, it seems here. So he's saying, listen, when things get difficult for you because you're following me, remember that this life isn't all there is and there will be a reward for you. And there is something much better. So he is saying that as well. So maybe I've got it all wrong. But I, I think Jesus is saying something quite specific to the people in front of him and to the people Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. We're always going to need these principles of the kingdom to bring into the lives of the poor and the needy around us. And I believe the gospel is good news to the poor, the, the message of Jesus. Hey, right. Verse 24, he says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall weep and mourn. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, 
for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So now he said he is there saying, isn't he? Look, guys, you if you who are rich, this you can have this now. This can be your reward. But actually, there's so much more. There's a there's a kingdom here, which is oh much deeper and much richer than just and and I think the the contrast is there for us to see that the people who are poor and needy are more likely to cry out to God more likely to come the the sinners more likely to come for forgiveness than the people who think they're okay the people who think they've got everything may not cry out to God for help do you know what I mean so there is that aspect of that and and it's it's important and true so we shouldn't diminish that but I do think as well (laughs) that God brings change into our real life situations and it's not all about good news when we die but I do believe that so Jesus is saying is joy even when you're being persecuted for me hi Caroline hope you had a nice time away I saw your pictures and he says but I say to you who hear listen sorry but I say to you who hear love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Wow. Listen, let me just carry on a second. If you love those who love you, What benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend from those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward shall be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. Right. So here we have it. Jesus is saying, I want you to be completely different. I want you to be kind to those who are never going to repay you. I want you to love your enemies. And the very thing he's saying, he says, if you just do good to those who are going to pay you back, how different are you? from the sinner what he's saying i think what he's saying here is quite quite strongly is that there is coming a change in your heart which enables you to do this because i don't think it's even possible to love our enemies and do all these things and do good to people without god doing a major transformation work in our hearts that changes us on the inside and enables us to love other people, enables us to love our enemies and to not repay evil with evil. And when people are rude to us and treat us badly, we want to kind of retaliate and we feel like we need justice. And there's this great, oh, kind of, I'm going to, yeah, (laughs) I need to get justice for this evil that's been done to me. But there is a sense in which Jesus is saying, right, I want you to go even better than that. I want you to go beyond justice into the realm of mercy. I want you to go beyond judgment into mercy. I want you to love people who don't deserve it. I want you to show kindness. And, and <clears throat> he's talking about people. I believe he's talking about 
people who have been born again by the Spirit of God, who've been changed on the inside and their hearts are different. And this then becomes the, the pattern by which we should be living, but also it becomes possible and achievable because the Spirit of God is in us. And he says this at the end here, this paragraph. He says, um, but love your enemies and do good to them and lend, expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. That's it. That we, When we looked at the book of Romans, it, there's a piece there in chapter eight where it talks about all creation is groaning and longing like a pregnant woman trying to give birth, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. What does a son of, what does a son of God or a daughter of God look like? They look like this. Now, don't you think this is great news for society? This is great news for the world. This is really good news. And I think so often Christians have been good news and so often Christians have been bad news. But living like this is good news. It's revolutionary. It's absolutely radical. And so we need to get Jesus radicalising our hearts in the best possible way where we do this kind of thing, where we love those who hate us, where we're kind to those who treat us badly, where we give to people who ask of us, we lend not expecting to get it back. <laughs> Sometimes it's a better thing to do to say, listen, when someone asks us for money or something like that and they want to borrow it, sometimes it's better just to say, let, let me let it be a gift. Let me give it to you as a gift because I don't, you can have it. Let me bless you with it rather than say, oh, you know, I need a written, <laughs> sworn um, kind of agreement that you're paying. There's a time for that, isn't there? But there's also a time to just say, let, let it be a gift. And trust that God will repay us because he's got very, very deep pockets and we're never going to outgive him. Wow. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. So he says you're going to stand out from the people you live among by your radical love, by you, the radical way you give and care for people and so on. Should we quickly skim through? I think we can read it. We can maybe comment, think some more um, in our leisure about it. But verse 37, he says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It's interesting, isn't it? That how our actions in our own heart is has a bearing on what happens to us. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. You want to be reaping generously, so generously, Jesus is saying. You want to, to receive mercy, show mercy. You want to not be judged, don't judge. I know... <laughs> I've spoken to our kids sometimes and they say, oh, you know, I feel judged, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but you dish it out, darling. You know, as we're getting better from that, hopefully. But you dish it out. Therefore, don't be surprised if you feel judged. We need to <laughs> not, not walk in judgment, condemnation. When we think about someone, rather than thinking about the thing that annoys us about them, think about the thing that we love about them. And let, let's lead with that thought rather than the other one. And then he goes on to say um, about how, oh my, there is so much, isn't there? I don't think I'm going to make it through, but 
He told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? So we need to pick our teachers well. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. So that's the object of training, isn't it? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite! <laughs> First, take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. Take, take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Jesus again is dealing with this hypocrisy that he sees in the religious establishment around him, full of judgment, full of criticism of everybody else, but failing to see their own massive failures and errors. The biggest one of all being hypocrisy. Jesus hates it. Verse 43, for no tree, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. This is really really key, really crucial. What comes out, I was just sat having an ice cream with little George yesterday in the garden and I could hear this man going on and on to his wife, droning on, full of judgment, criticism, and I thought, man, how different the heart of an ungodly person is. He's probably nice enough to his family, I'm sure he's a lot of fun to be with and so on, but this judgment just pouring out of his heart. And I thought, man, his heart has not been reached by this good news. The, the kingdom of heaven has not captivated his heart. He's not overflowing with life. He's overflowing with just jaded, toxic negativity. And I thought, man, come on, Jesus. Let's have a revolution in people's hearts. Finally, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Jesus is saying, take these words of mine. Don't just hear them and say, oh, that's lovely. Wasn't it good? Didn't he say some lovely things? Oh, it really made me think. When you come into the house of God and you hear, when you come to church and you hear people preaching and you think, oh, that's a really good, that was really, oh, that really made me think. Yeah, don't just stop at really thinking Build your life on it. Let the word of God become the foundation of your life. Let the words of Jesus become the foundations of my life. Let me not just be someone who can talk about it and sound knowledgeable, maybe occasionally. Let me be somebody whose overflow of their mouth is the same as the overflow of Jesus's mouth. Let the words that come out of my heart and my mouth 
line up with the words that God is speaking. Let my life be built on that foundation of the rock. So when storms and difficulties come, and boy, oh boy, they do. In life, storms and difficulties come, but our, our house is built on a solid foundation. Come on. <laughs> Have an amazing day, everyone. Let's just pray. Jesus, let your words dwell in our hearts. Let them become the very foundation of our lives. In your glorious name. Amen. God bless you, everyone. I am super excited to be able to recommend to you my book, The Christing. It's a whole adventure of digging deep into the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, exploring stories that may be familiar to us, but just seeing how the power and the beautiful, rich treasure of the Holy Spirit is there on every single page. And my desire as I share my own stories is that we would get caught up in that adventure together of a life pursuing the supernatural God where anything becomes possible when we're full of his Holy Spirit. And so my prayer for you as you read this book is that you'll get excited to embark on your own voyage of discovery with him but more than anything else, that you would fall more in love with Jesus. So please, if you have not got a copy, do buy one. You can get it online on all the major um, online bookstores, including Amazon, Eden and others. You can buy it from Christian bookshops. And, or you can message me and get your own signed copy. There you go. But do like it and review it because that really, really does help. Thank you so much.